Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So our scripture this morning for our message comes from the prophet Hosea, who is the first of the minor prophets listed in the Old Testament. And on Monday, when I opened up my scripture to get myself ready for this week of discerning and praying and preparing for my sermon, I looked too quickly at the text and I opened it up to Hosea 1, 1 through 11. And if you know Hosea 1, 1 through 11, you know that it's a completely different message. And God tells Hosea to go and take for himself a wife of whoredom. And I said, Linda, I must not be in the right place. I'm pretty sure we're not preaching on that this Sunday. And I think Linda was relieved that we were not preaching on that this Sunday. So imagine my great relief, though, when I turned to the proper scripture text and read these words again. They're words that recognize the brokenness of our world. That yes, even God's people falter and fail and fall away. And that once more, God recognized that the people had become almost too comfortable. And they had set aside God's ways for their own. And despite the sinfulness and the evil that is born from our sinfulness, God was refusing to forsake them. God, despite the anger and the exhaustion and the terrible burden that God bears in watching our sin play out, God refused to turn God's back on us. And I went back to a Bible that I've had since 2003. I decided that I would go back to a Bible that was actually one of the first textbooks William and Mary ever made me buy as a student of religious studies. And it was a big gaudy thing. It was yellow. I don't know why they went with Canary that year. Um, But it was a big yellow Bible, unmistakable. And when I opened it up, this cardstock fell out. And I looked at it, and on the back is an outline. This was back when I actually used to use some form of notes to speak. And on the other side was the statement. And it says this, The glory of hope is that it is irrational, unreasonable, and yet strengthening. It provides a solid ground to stand upon when the whole world falls down around you. Hosea ends with hope, not as an end place, but as a place to rest on the journey to our real end, redemption and reconciliation to our God. I had written those words so long ago, but it was a reminder to me that hope is something that we need to sustain us. It's exhausting being Christians, isn't it? When you have to stop yourself from responding in anger because I'm supposed to love my enemy. I'm supposed to pray for people who draw out my patience. I'm supposed to be kind and thoughtful, not selfish and self-centered. And that's exhausting work. It's not easy to be a disciple. If it was easy, then everybody would be doing it. And yet, it takes a conviction and a desire to serve God 
and to continue every day to walk that path. And it is not easy. And God knows this. That's why God has given us these means of grace. Whether it's corporate worship, where we draw together and become the body of Christ in a tangible way, whether it's receiving communion to nourish not only our physical body, but our spirituality, whether it's searching the scriptures for God's eternal truth for us this day, or receiving the means of grace that we are going to partake in later on this worship of prayer and anointing, that these are signs of God's hope, that God has not left us, God has not abandoned us, that instead God is saying, this is a lifetime journey, and no one will have the stamina. Even youths will fall and be weary. But those who have hope shall mount up with eagle's wings. And this is one of God's signs for us, that God is alive and with us and for us and is sending us forth in grace and truth. And so prayer becomes a vital part of that. Last week, our worship centered around the first time Christ gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer. And we spoke about prayer, and it was kind of a preamble to today, that the idea of prayer is exhaustive and yet so vital. It connects us to God. It connects us to one another. And today is our opportunity to engage once more in transformative prayer. I'm not kidding you when I told you that I was truly excited to discover that this was part of your tradition here, that my understanding is that it goes back several pastors, and that for years you have been partaking in this. Now, I also know that when you tell people you're going to have a service of healing, they look at you, and they give you that look, and then they wait for you to talk about snakes. And someone came up to me after 8.30 and said, you know, we used to make that joke. And the truth is that it seems slightly bizarre, right? A service of healing, boy, that doesn't feel very Protestant, does it? Or not this end of Protestantism. And yet it's so biblical. It is exactly what we were called to do. Anointing is an ancient practice, well predates the church. In fact, you go back to Exodus and you find God saying to Moses, anoint Aaron, the first of the high priests, and anoint his sons. They need my blessing. They need my strength to do the work of the priesthood. And then as we go through the Old Testament a little further, we find that prophets were anointed, that the word of the Lord filled them and the spirit of the Lord came upon them and they reminded God's people of the truth of the covenant. But it wasn't just for prophets and priests. It didn't take long before the people of the Old Testament said, you know, I'd like a king. Everybody else has a king. I think that sounds like a good idea. And there was a lot of going back and forth about whether that's what the people needed. And finally, God said to the prophet, anoint their first king. And so we get Saul. And it's a reminder to us that we, the, the descendants of the people of the Old Testament, we, the descendants of those first Christian disciples, are called to nothing less. That there are times in our lives when we are a priestly people, 
that we model for the world what it means to seek to live to a higher ideal, to model God's values over the world's. There are times when all of us will serve as prophets, speaking truth and love, and standing up for those who have been silenced by the world. There are also times where we get reminded that we are the children, the heirs of the king. And that as that royal priesthood, that we too are called to be benevolent, to be good to others, to use the gifts of the kingdom to bless others in God's name. We are called to all of these things. And today we gather here in worship to receive once more that tangible blessing, that reminder that God is not only with us but for us so that we may go forth and be for others. It's an incredible thing, the power of prayer and anointing. I remember one time being asked to anoint a teenage boy. And when his mother, who was not a church member, came to the church office and asked, she was hesitant and timid and afraid. And I thought we were anointing her. But when the other pastor and I entered into the sanctuary, her son was there. And at the age of 15, he had shingles. And some of you know personally what that is like. And you think to yourself, chickenpox is a childhood disease, and certainly there's this worry as we get older that we might have a case of shingles. But we don't come to expect that in 15-year-olds. And you could tell that he had it because it was already covering one of his eyes. And shingles, when it covers your eyes, is capable of blinding you permanently. And I felt ill-equipped for that moment. And we knelt at the altar rail, and we laid hands on him, and we anointed him. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I have no idea if this can work. God, I don't know that we can handle this. This feels so far beyond my capability. But you are God of all, the great physician. If anyone can heal this child, it would be you. Because not only were the shingles covering one eye, but they were working towards the other. And the doctors who were treating it said that despite all the treatment, it was continuing toward the other eye. And they already didn't know if he would suffer blindness. His eye was covered and swollen shut. And clinging to the only hope we had, which was prayer, we prayed for him. And we sent him out with this blessing. And several days later, his mother came back and said, you're not going to believe this. The shingles are receding and his sight is fine. And I couldn't believe it. If I hadn't continued to see him with my own eyes, I would never have believed that that could be done. That someone who looked so far beyond the limits of medical science could be healed. Not by my hands, but by the touch of the Almighty. And that encounter of prayer and anointing transformed his family's life. Dad had been an atheist. Mom was a closet Christian. And they started to attend the church, and they still do. It transformed their lives, this encounter with this means of grace. And people often ask me about prayer and healing. They ask me, does it really work? And it does. 
And this healing for me has a name and it has a face. And its name is Bob. At the last church I served, there was a man who was having heart surgery. And we don't really think about that in Norfolk because we have one of the top-rated heart hospitals in the entire country. And some of the highest-ranking surgeons perform surgery there all the time. And so you don't really agonize over someone going in for heart surgery. We prayed for Bob that day in worship and said that we looked forward to praying with him and Thanksgiving on the other side. And as he entered into this surgery, everything seemed normal. Except that this was one of the weeks when the other clergy person was on vacation and it was just me. And when his wife called me to say that Bob didn't come out of anesthesia, I thought, why me, Lord? Why does this burden rest on me? And so I went to her side in the waiting room and I prayed with her. And she said, they don't know why he won't wake up. They can't wake him up. And we prayed together with all earnesty that God would work through this. Well, several days later, the surgeons and the doctors called her in and said, we have done all that we can do. He's not responding. We have nothing left that we can do. And reaching out to her in a radical way, one of the surgeons said, all that we have left to do is pray. And so we did. We prayed at every meeting. I prayed with her constantly in person and over the phone. I prayed nonstop. And the church prayed nonstop. We prayed in Bible studies and we prayed in worship. We did all that we could to pray for her and for Bob. That God would work a miracle here. Because what else is there to call it when medicine says, we've done all that we can do? And so two weeks after Bob went into surgery, for what we thought was a fairly routine procedure, Bob awoke from his coma. And he emerged, and at first, there was disbelief. The doctors couldn't explain it, but his wife could. We prayed for a miracle, and God was good. And I remember being flabbergasted bless you. I remember being overwhelmed by God's response. And his wife would tell me, I could feel it. I could feel when the Bible study would pray. I could feel it when church was in, in gathering and you were praying. I was just surrounded by this incredible force. And when I couldn't stand, you lifted me up. And when he was beyond our reach, God was the bridge. Because God's people have incredible power when we pray. So people ask me, do I believe in healing? I've been there. I have seen it. Yes, I believe. But I believe that we pray and we pray for healing, not just for physical miracles, but we pray for those who need strength in their battle. For those who need to be reminded that where the body is weak, the spirit is strong. We invite people who are in all circumstances to receive this healing, whether you need it for your body, your mind, or your spirit. 
That anointing is not just for priests and prophets and kings, but for all of God's people. That this is God's gift for us to be reminded in a powerful, tangible way that the touch of God is upon us and that we go forth not alone to trials and tribulations, but upheld by God and strengthened by one another. So if you've ever wondered if this was for you, I hope that the Spirit is speaking deep within you today to say, yes, that this is for me. And whether it is only for the relief from our guilt or whether it is because we are confronting our own mortality or anywhere in between, I pray that this will be something that you receive in a new way. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.